Hi, and welcome to the second ever episode of Into the Future Of. I'm your host, Ben Meisner, and today I'm very excited to welcome to the show Kate Brown, the Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo Finance Australia. Kate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So, Kate, I understand that you have extensive experience in your field for more than 20 years. You've done everything from researching, script writing, um, and presenting for a top-rated consumer affairs TV show, through to being the managing editor at Finder Australia and a journalist editor and spokesperson for choice. What was the state of journalism when you first got started and what inspired you to become a journalist? The state of journalism when I graduated from uni was dire. I graduated into a full-blown recession uh, and there were barely any jobs available. And in fact, in my last year of uni, it was pretty much a given most of us graduating would not be working in the industry. So um, wow. had a very realistic um, start to my career. <laughs> Uh, I coped with that by going overseas for for a year or two. Um, ended up working in all kinds of industries like tel telco, which was really taken off. Um, eventually worked in the arts at the Opera House, and eventually, finally, after freelancing, found my way into journalism. So it was something I always wanted to do. I'm very very nosy. I like talking a lot. Um, I love to write, though. On deadline day, I'd probably tell you I hate to write, um, and I couldn't kind of believe there was a job that allowed you to be nosy to write and now as I've got older and less shy you know to to be able to talk and make video stuff as well. Right so what was it about that time when you graduated that made it so difficult to work in the career that you had studied for? Yeah, well, this was uh, this was the early to mid '90s, so in the, the recession, you know, we had to have, as Paul Keating said at the time. Um, so there were a lot of cutbacks in newsrooms, and also. You know, journalism then was very limited to pu those publishing mastheads, you know, mm. and I really look back now at how much freedom we have to be able to make and um, produce our own content like you, you're doing right now from your house. <laughs> um, you know, you're really beholden to those few editors and publishers that would take people on. And um, when I graduated, that was very, very limited because they had cut back because of, because of the recession. There was mm -hmm. a lot of job scarcity anyway. So um, I think it's a huge lesson for me though, I, I think like thinking laterally about um, an industry like journalism or content producing, as we might call it now. Um, you know, I, I look back and accidentally a lot of the skills that I use now in my job as a journalist and an editor, I learned doing completely unrelated jobs. Um, so for mm. me, in a way, uh, it wasn't deliberate, <laughs> but it actually has held me in really good stead. I, I started in working in Optus, I think, answering a hundred angry cu um, customers a day on the phone. You know, and um, um, it was awful and I did it for a year, but I, I got really good at dealing with people. And so yeah. when I did become a journalist, um, I noticed a, a colleague of mine who'd come up through the unis and straight into, you know, newspapers had a very different approach to the people she interviewed than to me. And she'd always say to me, you sound like you're having a conversation or like you're not even working. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because then they like, they tell me things and they often call me back, you know, with other story ideas. And so, um, yeah, you know, like I said, in hindsight, it's like, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have some of that life experience before you go in. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I feel like cross-pollinating across different fields is the key to, um, to anything, to advancing any field. 
Definitely at the moment. And I always tell my young journos that I'm like every tool you can add to your, you know, your toolkit, you're going to need, whether it's making video, whether it's doing broadcast, whether it's writing, um, you know, jump on all those opportunities because you kind of have to be a full stack content producer these days. Right. Yes. So that bring that does nicely bring me to this next question, which is looking back over these past two decades, how would you describe the evolution of journalism through that time? And specifically, how has social media impacted things and how has the role of being a journalist changed? Yeah, look, there's definitely upsides and downsides. So the upside, as I touched on before, is that there are so many opportunities now for people to make their own content, to write and publish at will, um, you know, and and to to work in a lot of organisations that wouldn't have had an arm that kind of dealt with media. So now a lot of, you know, they may not be traditional journalism jobs, but there are amazing jobs in big corporations, in not-for-profits that just didn't exist before we had things like social media platforms and and blogs and and self-publishing and producing. I think the downside for me is the speed at which journalists have to work now. It's definitely an issue. And, you know, if you're not first or one of the first, you really going to suffer with things like SEO, search engine optimization in Google. Yeah, and so that, um, that, that speed really does limit you to be able to stop and think and also to break news. Um, I see now a lot of the time really, um, you know, we're working off stuff that's already been provided, reports that have been provided. When even 10 years ago, a choice, definitely we were breaking our own stories and we'd have people that would tip us off, but you need time to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. It makes me think about Elon Musk and some of his tweets and and distrust of the media and I heard you know I think he recently tweeted that um and I don't want to misquote him but a lot of journalism and maybe it was a meme that a lot of journalism just comes from reposting of other people's journalism and a lot of news is just coming from other Recycling. news. <laughs> yeah. I'd hate to feel aligned to Elon Musk, but it is. It's absolutely true. And um, that's just par for the course these days and it's just a reality. would say, though, it is interesting how I often joke with my team people have a very funny idea about what the media does. Um, yeah. People will often, when we do very straight reportage, at Yahoo Finance a lot of the time we're reporting on, you know, finance stories and news, what's happening in politics or policy or research that we've got through really trusted, you know, partners that we work with. And and often, like, members of the public will write back and be angry at, like, one of my team because of their opinion. It's like, it's a, that's not their opinion. I, I always joke with them. It's like it doesn't mean if we write about a murder that we're murderers or we're pro-murder, but people often have this weird idea that if um, a journalist writes about something, then they've got their own um, they've got their own agenda. But my theory is um, there is a lot of opinion-based journalism these days. Um, you know, we do get these kind of people that do get to write about their own opinions, and um, that is a really cost-effective way to get content. And so I think in the last 10, 20 years, we've seen so much more opinion journalism. So I can't really blame the public because, you know, you do have journalists that clearly have an agenda. But I always just think give the rest of the media a break. We don't sit around planning how we're going to, like, make the world fall to its knees. We're not, we're not well paid enough for that, guys. Like, honestly, <laughs> if we wanted to take over the world, we'd be like Elon Musk. For sure. 
So, um, coming back to today, now you sit as the editor-in-chief at Yahoo Finance Australia. Finance is a very interesting field right now, given both the technology emerging in the industry and the challenging financial times we find ourselves in. What would you say is the most exciting and the most worrying thing about the finance industry right now? Yeah, look, the first confession I have to make is I never, ever wanted to write about finance ever. (laughs) And I I did all kinds of things to avoid it, Ben, until like four years ago. When I worked at Choice, I could have written about money, but I was terrified. And, you know, points I've chose to write about chemical regulation or caravan safety, you know, which was actually in hindsight far more complex than money. Um, But I think I was someone that didn't like maths and so I thought, oh, finance is about maths. Um, Someone much smarter than me offered me a job four years ago and said, you're really good at making complicated things simple. And I said, I don't know anything about finance. And they were like, well, that's great because you can find out just a few steps ahead of our audience and be able to, you know, often experts aren't very good at sort of explaining themselves. But I always just say that because I used to think finance was really impenetrable and a bit scary. But for me, what I've realised, particularly now, is finance is life. You know, it's it's what you're you know, your grocery bill, it's your petrol bill, it's um, whether you're going to be able to make those um, repayments on your home when you took out a huge home loan four years ago and was told that, you know, we'd only be on 2% interest rates. So I've kind of fallen in love with it. And, and the timing, you know, for me is I've always written about personal finance, not sort of high rollers or investing. So, um, you know, this is where that's this stuff is the news. Like, mm. this is what's taking up most of the news now. This and the weather um, <laughs> seem to be the two things that have overtaken just about yeah. everything else. So, um, for me, I find it really compelling and interesting. But the other thing I really like is, um, you know, it's one of the few areas in journalism where you can get people to actually make changes in their own lives that will be good for them. Um, you know, you report on new, if you're just doing straight news reporting, you're sort of reporting on the, the what, you know, what's happening in the so what, like what does it mean? But with finance, you can actually do the kind of now what step, which is like you could actually, um, you know, save money by doing A, B or C. Um, and I really like that. I think it's, uh, it's, it's actually quite meaty in that sense. And it's um, as much as we all say we don't want to think about it or care about it, it's one of those necessary evils. So I like to think as I'm kicking things off my own to-do list that I don't want to do. I'm encouraging other people to do the same. Yeah, brilliant. And I really like what you said about wanting to avoid finance. However, you have a mind which can take the complex and spit it out simply. And I think I think that, for again, bringing this generally to any field, I, I always feel like that is the most powerful thing you can ever do to explain something to someone as though they're five. That means mm. you understand it. If you, if you have to be an academic who lectures about something for an hour, maybe you understand it, but you can't explain it simply. And, there, and therefore, I would argue you don't understand it as well as someone who can. Yeah, look, there's, I, I, I use this rule of thumb with writing. Um, when I see people who write 
using very overblown language, yeah. very overly complicated. To me, it's just an instant red flag that this person is not a confident writer. Yeah. A confident writer writes really simply and elegantly because they're happy to stand by it. And it's it's the same thing. And the more complex the topic too, I think certain personality types are attracted to certain industries. I used to write a lot of science journalism when I worked at Choice. And again, I wasn't very sciencey. But what I discovered is scientists are often their own worst PR people because they're trained to be so detail orientated and so neutral um, that often, you know, you need someone then to sit with them and wind it back to actually highlight, you know, what this means. Um, and I think in finance too, I'd also say it's interesting. I'm, I've got a, a, a group on LinkedIn called the Women's Money Movement, which I inherited when I started at Yahoo Finance and quite sort of about 1,500 quite high powered women in there. And when I introduced myself, I was like, I was a maths dodger. I didn't even do maths in the HSC. I was the first one at my school, much to their horror. And I can't tell you how many really high-profile women who are finance journalists, commentators, or financial advisors said I was a maths dodger as well. Huh. I didn't do maths. Uh -huh. I always thought finance was really hard. So it's interesting. And I think, you know, finance has a lot of jargon. And it's a very male um, in, um, yeah. hemisphere as well, I think. Hemisphere, that's atmosphere, not hemisphere. <laughs> I need more coffee. A lot of, yeah, and there's a lot of jargon. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of finance stuff, you know, personal finance is, is just being sensible and, and knowing a few tricks and also not having to, like, optimise everything. But if you can make a few changes, that can just make life so much better. Yeah. For sure. So... This is something I ask every guest, and it is to take a step back for a moment and try to imagine the future. How do you think journalism and media might look in 10 or even 20 years from today? Yeah, uh, I think the first thing is there'll be a lot less writing and a lot more video. Is that right? And I'm a huge proponent of it. I'm not someone that likes to hang on to the old. Um, you know, I'm all about embracing the new. And I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, and I watch the way they get their information. And mm -hmm. to quote my 15-year-old, she said, I don't read, you know. And, and the other comment was, I don't use Google. I don't use the internet. It's amazing. They're, they're just using apps and they're video apps and there's TikTok and, you know, they're just – you know, reels on Instagram and this is where, and YouTube, I mean, YouTube's just like one of the hugest platforms, you know, going. And so for me, I think, you know, we, we really see video come to a fore. Um, what that's going to look like, I don't know. Um, I think the other thing we're going to see is for really good, um, you know, public interest journalism, I, I really think the only way we're going to see that is through philanthropy. Um, I don't think anyone's going to come up with a model to fund it, as important okay. as it is and as passionate as I am about it. Um, but I think there are still plenty of opportunities. There's great examples of philanthropic enterprises like Politico in the US and the EU that have been funded by public-minded philanthropists who aren't pushing their own agenda. So I think that will be the other thing. Um, crowdsource content too will be massive. Um, but but we will have that shattering of the landscape and I yeah. do worry about um, 
people, you know, young people coming up through the ranks being able to understand what's bullshit and what's actually real and that's going to be a real challenge. And I know that's something they're addressing in schools now. It's not, you know, the challenge when I was growing up was getting information. Now, like, we've got more information than we know what to do with it. It's being able to sift through it and work out what's what. And I forget that that's just a natural skill for me because of what I do. Yeah. Um, And I think more and more as there are no sort of trusted signposts for me, you know, I still look to places like the ABC because I know how brilliantly, you know, impartial they are, even though they're always accused of being, um, you know, um, you know, pushing an agenda. They they so don't. I've worked there. I've been interviewed by them. They're brutal. Like they actually, you know, they really do their jobs. Um, for me, it's, you know, looking for those places where you can just get a bounce and say, okay, that's a really well-established, um, you know, uh, masthead uh, that actually is going to give you good information. But the further down the track we go, the more difficult that's going to become. Yeah, that, that's very interesting because how are this generation growing up with TikTok and whatever is next, how on earth are they going to sift the garbage? I mean, I I have a son who is seven going on eight and he watches a bit of TikTok Mm. and his constant, his facts that he comes to his mum and dad and, and, you know, impresses them with are from some teenage kid on TikTok who has made a video. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. But, you know, I'm like you, I'll go to a news outlet to get my news. I'll go to a trusted source, but I don't, I don't know if my son will. Maybe he will. Mm-hmm. He certainly uses Google, but I don't know how good he is at finding reliable sources on Google either. I don't think that's necessarily the answer. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's such a good point. The other thing I've really noticed too, Ben, is this very global, like my daughters don't really tend to think about, they're not really interested in anything that's specifically Australian. <laughs> Maybe just because I grew up in like, just right on that tipping point where people barely had heard of Australia and, you know, we were um, all the way down at the bottom of the globe. So I'll often say to the girls like, oh, this band's Australian or, you know, this is an Australian outlet. And they're just like, whatevs. Like they're just, <laughs> they're very interested in say, they're both very good little feminists. So they're both like just as like caught up in Roe versus Wade in the United States as a young American woman would be because I think, you know, social media has removed those global barriers, but that's also problematic because I had to kind of explain that's not happening here. They're, you know, America's a different country. They're almost like, what? Um, You know, I remember my younger daughter asking if we could go to Walmart and I'm like, oh, God, like where have you heard about Walmart? You know, we don't have it. Um, Yeah, so that's really interesting too, that sort of globalisation and, again, where you you get your, your facts from. And, and sadly, as these platforms become more and more divided and owned by people with agendas <clears throat> like Elon Musk, um, that, yeah, it's going to be a real challenge, massive challenge. But then I always look at Wikipedia and go, you know, on paper, Wikipedia should never have worked. And um, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's not always right, but a lot it's of the time it is. It's, it's, it's mind boggling how well it works. People. Yeah, you know, it's filled honestly by the goodness of people wanting to, um, you know, tell the truth and, and, and share that info. So, you know, maybe there's So good still does exist. That's Some true, good people yeah. exist. Amongst all the TikToks. <laughs> Having said that, we've got a great TikTok channel at, at Yahoo. Uh, it's a great way, it's a great challenge getting a massive piece of information into a, you know, sub 50 second video. Um, yeah. And I'm a huge fan of doing that too. I think any topic can be broken down, expanded, 
shape-shifted into any form and that's something I really love doing too. Kate, what advice would you give someone today who is considering venturing into a career in journalism? Oh, I love this. Uh, The first thing would be start making your own content. I know I'm seeing content and lots of my, you know, um, colleagues who are sort of my age would probably be going, stop calling content, but it is. Uh, Whether you want to write, whether you want to podcast, whether you want to record, whether you want to broadcast, whether you want to shoot TikToks, just start doing it. And even, you know, right back in the day, I remember like my my lecturer saying, like, if you want to write, just write, even if it's for yourself. Don't sit around going, I've got to wait till dot, 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 just start doing it. The other thing is, um, yeah, be really agnostic. Like my career is far from traditional and so don't get too hung up on where you might work. I've had, um, I learned, you know, I learned a lot from talking to those awful angry people every day at Optus. But when I, a funny story is I worked at the Sydney Opera House for years and I ended up working with the sponsorship department, working with partners um, who sponsored the Opera House and I ended up kind of writing a lot of the copy and I look back now and go, that was like what we'd call native copy now or branded content, which is like all the rage and, and something that journalists have to do now. So don't always discount stuff you've done in the past. And, you know, just absorb as much information and read widely, listen widely, don't don't be hung up on one or two places. That's another great way to get a perspective, even if it's not one you share. Yeah, and be cheeky because you've got to got to knock on a lot of doors even if they're just digitally to get a a gig in journalism so we look for people that are self-starters we look for people that have got good writing skills who can get in front of a camera who can get in front of a microphone as well all right thank you well a huge thank you kate for taking the time today to step back and consider the past current state and potential future of journalism thank you so much 